Second Thessalonians chapter 2. We read the, the beginning and the end of it last week. We're going to look at the middle, excuse me, Second Thessalonians chapter 1. We read the beginning and end of it last week. We're going to look at the middle of this week. Hear God's word to us as we've just sung this wonderful prayer asking for him to open our eyes to these wonderful truths in his word. Hear his word to us now. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 5, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Now, this may seem a sort of strange passage for Mother's Day, and if it does, you can talk to Dave because he's the one who asked me to do this today. It's not, it's not my fault. But actually, if you stop and think about it, in the week that you've just gone through, taking in news by various sources, going to school or going to work, circulating, uh, going out to eat, wherever you might be, how many times in the past week was it reinforced to you that this world isn't all there is, or the best. That the best is actually yet to come when Jesus comes, and yet when Jesus comes, there is a final judgment for all people. How, how often was that mentioned or reinforced in your week last week? If you're like me in circulation out in the world, that's, that's non-existent in the world that we live in, which is an advertisement for church. We must have the Lord's day. And we must have God's word to us in order to live well in the world that God has placed us in. And so as we uh, get, get going with the word here, let, let's pray. God, we thank you on this Lord's day. We thank you that you are the God who speaks. And when you speak, things happen. When you say, let there be light, Stars come into existence. And when you say, let there be light in a heart, people are born again to a living hope. So we pray this morning, God, speak. Let there be light in our minds and in our hearts that we might see not only the condition of the world that we live in, but its final day and the return of Christ. That we might see something no one has ever seen. That we might grab hold of it by faith and live in light of it today, we pray in Jesus' name. So I want to um, just think for a moment about, if you can try to take yourselves two years back to just before COVID happened. Well, remember when it all got started, like how totally unprepared everybody was? Remember, you couldn't get hand sanitizer anywhere. Like I remember going into the grocery store, it was in March, and they said, yeah, we'll have hand sanitizer in October. You know, it's like... Nobody was ready for this. There weren't vaccines. Nobody knew how this thing 
work. There, there weren't enough masks. My wife was making cloth masks for my daughter to use who works in the hospital. Um, nobody was prepared for this. Now, what would have happened if you know, a year before COVID hit, somehow somebody knew that COVID was coming, said, hey, there's a worldwide pandemic coming and these are all the things you need to do to get ready. Well, that might have helped, right? If you listened. And so there might have been a lot of people who were ready and there might have been a lot of progress made in having all kinds of gear and things that were needed prepared, maybe even vaccine, but there might have also been people like, ah, I don't believe that. I'll wait and see how it all works out. When you know a big event is coming, it's foolish not to prepare, right? It's foolish not to let that big event out in the future affect you today. So even just today, you might think about what are the things that are coming up for you? Is it a vacation or a graduation or a wedding or a job change or a retirement, something, something like that? All those things, we work backwards and they influence the way we live today. So what we have in front of us in God's word here this morning is this. We have in front of us the biggest future event of all time. Jesus Christ in person will return with mighty angels and flaming fire. I have, I cannot imagine what that's going to look like. I try. Nobody's ever seen anything like this. And we don't know when that day will be, but we do know that day is coming. So, how does that day influence you today? How does it affect you today? How does it inform how you live today? Do you think about this? Talk about this? Can you picture this or try to picture this? Does it does it have any effect at all on our daily lives? So here's the situation. This church in Greece, in Thessalonica, was being persecuted. They were under real pressure. And Christians throughout history and Christians around the world today experience this kind of pressure. And when Christians are afflicted, when Christians are persecuted, when Christians are mistreated because they're Christians... It raises questions. It's hard. Where is God when all that's going on? Why doesn't God do something? How can God be just and God's people be treated so unfairly? How can those things both be true? Those are, those are difficult questions. And those are the things that go on inside of us when we experience these things. The reality is, you cannot unravel and put together the reality of injustice in the world and the suffering of Christians without remembering the Lord's return. That's how it all squares up. That's when it all makes sense. Christian experience is intended to be shaped by Jesus' resurrection... I love that we sang about that this morning, and also his return. We're talking about that this morning too. So we're living in between these two days of the Lord's ascension and the Lord's return. Our experience today is intended to be shaped by that coming day 
So how? How does that affect us today? So here's the, here's the big thought for today. Here's the simple thing from God's word for us today. Knowing Christ will return strengthens you to live for him today. There is a strengthening, an edifying, a courage giving, a holding fast and enduring that comes about from knowing this. So in this passage of scripture, God gives us four facts. I'm going to just, just approach this through four simple facts that will help us stand firm, be strengthened, endure today while we wait for Christ's return. If you think about, maybe you know there's a, a big windstorm coming and you think, okay, what's out in the yard that needs to be secured? What do I need to tie down? What do I need to bring inside? Well, here are these four facts that I'm going to give you today. Tie them down. Bring them inside, get a hold of them and keep them with you and they will help you be strengthened today in light of that. Here is fact number one. The arc of the Christian life is suffering than glory. Now please hold your applause because I know that's great news for everybody here, right? Suffering and then glory. So I want you to think about what this church is experiencing. How does the Lord's return help these people? Their experience is, is very difficult. If, uh, I'm going to just skip over to Acts 17 for just, just a second. Where, when this church is founded, Acts 17, Paul and Silas are there. They're making their way into to this, this region. They, they begin to preach in the synagogue as they, as they often do. And some people begin to uh, come to faith in Christ. Um, but it says in verse 5 of Acts 17, the Jews, that's probably the Jewish leaders, were jealous and took some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. So I just want to just pause and say, has, has Fairfax ever been set in an uproar because of Fairfax Bible Church? Have you ever had a mob out to get you? So that, try to picture, like I've never experienced this. I, there are Christians in other parts of the world who are experiencing this today, but so try to picture, this is, this is you. They formed a mob, they set the city in an uproar, and they attacked the house of Jason, why did they attack Jason's house? Because that's where Paul was staying. So you're this nice Christian. You bring these people into your house to, to welcome these missionaries in. And what's your reward? This mob sets out after you, after, after your house. And when they can't find Paul and Silas, they take you instead. And they drag you before the, the, the city leaders. And so it says eventually... Um, they, the, the city leaders took money as security from Jason and the rest and they let them go. What a wild and traumatic experience. So that's the birth of this church. That's what the founding of this church was like. And so then Paul was forced to leave and it was an agony that he left because he felt like he was being torn away from his, his children. And so he's writing back to them to strengthen them and to encourage them in the midst of this ongoing persecution and affliction. If God is just, why is life so often unfair? These people hear the gospel, they come to faith in Christ, and immediately jealous people incite evil men to attack them, to go after them. And this happens countless times in church history and around the world today. I this week was reminded of the story of Leah Sharibu, who on her is, is celebrating her 18th birthday, May 14th. It's, it's coming up. She's a Nigerian Christian girl. In 2018, four years ago, she and 100 other girls from her school were kidnapped by Boko Haram. Five were killed, and all but one were released. The one that hasn't been released is Leah, and she hasn't been released 
because she refuses to renounce Jesus Christ. As far as I know, four years later, she's still in captivity. Why? Because of her faith in Christ. The arc of the Christian life is suffering and then glory. It follows the life of Jesus. As Christians here, we don't experience that kind of persecution. But increasingly, we find if we have a biblical view of what it means to be a human being, biblical views of marriage, gender, sexuality, increasingly we find ourselves marginalized or perhaps even viewed as a threat by the society that we live in. Why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't God swoop in and fix this? Well, God is doing something. And many people work within the legal and political system to advocate for religious freedom, for justice for Christians, for churches here and now. But we all know, despite their best efforts, persecution cannot be eradicated before Jesus comes back. And in the midst of it, God wants you to not be afraid. He wants to give you courage like steel. He wants to uphold and strengthen you because God is working for good in the middle of this evil. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom for which you are suffering. You have entered into God's rightness in his kingdom and that's what causes you to be a threat and marginalized and outsiders in the world that you live in. Paul looks at this young church and he says, you're suffering for Christ is a sign that God has made you part of his kingdom. You're following the way of Christ. It's an upside down kingdom. Suffering, then glory. Jesus says it this way, John 12, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. How often was that reinforced in your world this week? Whoever loves his life loses it. But whoever hates his life in this world keeps it for eternal life. Fasten this in your minds. Following Jesus is an arc of suffering and then glory. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. These afflictions are real and painful and temporary. And one day Jesus is coming back and he will set everything right. Fact number two, there will be an end to this world. When is that? I don't know. Don't have a date. Can't have a date. But Jesus tells us to be ready for his return. Verse 7, listen to this. To grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in, in flaming fire. In the first letter that Paul wrote to this church, which was maybe just a few weeks before 2 Thessalonians, chapter 4 and verse 16, he says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. What does that sound like? With the voice of an archangel. 
What does that sound like? With the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. None of us have ever seen anything like this. None of us have ever experienced anything like this. But we live by faith, ordering our lives around this day. This isn't wishful thinking. This isn't a fiction. This is the future predicted by the God who is already there. When Jesus ascended, the angel said he would return in the same way that he left, descending from heaven. And his return, it won't be like Christmas. When he came at Christmas, a few people knew it, but not many. When he returns on the last day, the day of the Lord, his appearing will be personal, it will be glorious, it will be bodily, And it will be worldwide. It is literally a showstopper. It's the end of the age. It's the end of the world as we know. We at at, uh, Redeeming Grace, we say the Apostles' Creed once a month or so. And part of that is, on the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. And when he comes, this age is over. Sports, the internet, Stock markets, travel, everything, full stop, it's over. And all will give account to God for our lives. So, question, are you ready for this day? Could be Mother's Day 2022. Could be Mother's Day 3022. I don't know when it's going to be. But he's coming, and he's coming to reward his people and to bring judgment And vengeance on those who will not obey him. So fact number three, fact number two is there will be an end of this world. Fact number three, the final destiny for those who do not serve Christ is eternal destruction. Let me read this again. Verse eight, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel Of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might when he comes on that day. We're talking about hell. We're talking about final, irreversible judgment. Jesus preached about this at length. You can read about that in the Gospels. And I'll just say, this is a hard topic, isn't it? I find the older I get, the harder and more difficult this becomes. I have children who aren't following the Lord. I have neighbors, people that I love, who are not obeying the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet this is God's word to us. And this is God's plan for setting all things right. Jesus Christ, who's the image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ, who does all things well. Jesus Christ will bring final reckoning to all people and set up a new kingdom. This is hard to get a hold of, isn't it? For a lot of reasons. But one of them is, you know, we live in a time when, for many, the worst thing possible is to be accused of being judgmental or intolerant or not accepting of other people. But this is judgment, And this is accepting of some and rejecting of others. We live in a time when 
For some people, the only Bible verse they know is, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. Or judge not that you be not judged. We live in a time when it's, it's, it's not okay to pronounce judgments about other people. But we must face the reality of evil in our world. Right? And who doesn't want evil dealt with? You know, when, when, when you watch movies, and sometimes there's that, that, that bad guy, and you know from the beginning, this is the bad guy, right? And, and, and everything he does is just, it's, it's wrong, he's cowardly, he's evil, he's conniving, and then he finally gets it in the end, and you're like, yes, that's right! You know what's going on inside you when that happens? That's the image of God inside you saying, evil needs to be reckoned with and punished. We know that intuitively, all of us. And we live in a world of evil. It's evil for Boko Haram to kidnap teenage girls. It's evil to do that. It's evil to legalize the killing of unborn children. That's evil. It's wrong. It's evil to scam the life savings out of an elderly person. It's evil. But in this moment, when Jesus returns, evil ends. And those who have been afflicting God's people will be afflicted by God. And Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, comes as the judge of the whole world and comes to set all things right. And this is a great help and comfort, isn't it? All things will be made right. His judgments are just. He will make all things right. Justice will be done. It won't be done as quickly as we sometimes hope, but it will be done. And it says this is eternal destruction for those who do not know God and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can this be fair? We're told in Romans 1 that God has revealed himself in creation and we all are without excuse because we fail to honor him as God And thank him as our God. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. The default condition of human beings is rebellion against God, which brings condemnation from God. That's your story. That's my story. This is our biography apart from redemption in Christ, which brings humility for those who are in Christ and urgency for mission to bring this good news to others. Some have heard the gospel and refused to obey it. And I love that we sang that in the song just before I came up. Teach us to obey your word. Did you know that being a Christian is more than knowing facts about Jesus? It's more than saying I believe in those things. It's actually obeying the gospel. The kingdom of God following Christ involves not only mental assent to certain truths, it involves a heart that's reshaped and begins to travel in a new direction, the direction of obeying Jesus Christ as Lord. As a young Christian, there was a moment, I I, I, I grew up not knowing anything about the gospel. I was utterly untrained on on, on these facts. Began to hear the gospel from a friend in in, in a church. And as I heard it, I began to realize, I need forgiveness. I, I, I need rescue. So I prayed and asked Jesus to forgive me, and I believed that he did. But you know what I didn't understand? That was intended to result in a whole new way of living where I was no longer in charge of my life, but he was the Lord. 
And a couple years later at a conference, hearing a sermon by Billy Graham, I realized for the first time that to be a Christian is not just to say, I need to be forgiven, but it's also to say, I am yours. You're the Lord of my life. You're the boss. You are my king, and I want to obey you. So I, I had gone from being kind of unreligiously selfish to being religiously selfish and just asking God, oh, this is great. I can be forgiven, and now he, he's going to help me get whatever I want. That's not Christianity. The gospel of Jesus Christ calls us into obedience to follow a Savior and a Lord. So sadly, as Jesus returns, many people will refuse to have lived that way. And yet there's no place for self-righteousness or haughtiness in us because that dark rebellion still lurks in our hearts, doesn't it? You know that's rolling around in there? I read this quote recently from Andy Crouch. He says, If you knew the full condition of my heart, my fantasies and grievances, my anxieties, and my darkest solitary thoughts, you would declare me a danger to myself and others. So all that darkness is still rolling around inside of us. We've been made new. We have a new position in Christ, as we talked about last week, and we're becoming what we've already been declared to be. We're becoming Christians. We're becoming like Christ. And in, in this, we are seeking to obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are calling others to come and do the same. Because there is a final judgment coming. And there's no wiggle room in this passage or others like it for a second chance later. This is eternal destruction away from God's presence. And there's only one escape, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, if you're here this morning, and you have not come to call Jesus as Lord and obey this gospel, I urge you, won't you come to him now? Because he's coming back one day. He came first so that sinners could be redeemed rescued, forgiven, and brought into his glorious kingdom. God says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're like crimson, they shall become white like wool. Won't you come to him for washing and cleansing and forgiveness and a whole new life following Christ? Because he will return. And there is a final destruction for all who will not follow and obey him. Oh, won't you come to him today? And finally, fact number four. The pain of suffering for Christ now will be, hear this, infinitely exceeded by the joy of being with him then. Infinitely exceeded by the joy of being with with him then. Verse 7. He will grant relief to you who are afflicted when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. He will be glorified in his saints to be marveled at among all who have believed. He will come to grant relief. You ever experienced relief? Maybe you were in some kind of pain. Maybe you were in some kind of 
loss or loneliness or need, and you were granted relief. I was thinking about this this morning uh, a number of years ago. I had a kidney stone, and I've never experienced pain like I had when I had that kidney stone. And I was lying in the emergency room, writhing in pain, and at some point, they started a morphine drip. And when that got going in my body, you know what happened? Relief. And the first thing I said was, if, if the guy who invented morphine is in heaven, I can't wait to go thank him. <laughs> because like, it was amazing, the relief. The relief of being delivered from the afflictions of this world to being brought, and brought into the presence of Christ is like no relief we've ever known or experienced. The relief of being delivered from the presence and power of sin. The relief of being delivered from a fallen and broken world. The relief of being delivered from the enemy of our souls. And it isn't just relief from being delivered from, it's, de- it's relief being brought into the presence of Jesus Christ. Jesus will be glorified in his saints and marveled at among all who have believed. In his presence. Those who are destined for eternal destruction will be away from his presence. We will be with him. Again, I was just thinking about this this morning, and this is an analogy that falls far short, but I was just thinking, I I don't have to travel very much, for which I'm thankful, but when I I do, I just just miss my wife desperately. I just feel like I've lost half my life. And, And so there's this sense of when I get to come home and just be with her, there's this sense of this joy of experiencing her presence. And if I could experience that with my bride of almost 40 years now, how much more to be in the presence of Jesus Christ, our maker and our redeemer. How much more will we marvel at his brilliance and his glory in his presence. New bodies will have because Christ is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. We'll be in a new creation. He's going to make all things new and the new world will be a paradise. It will be what Eden was intended to be and it will be that universally and forever. In Eden, there was the possibility of a fall. There was the possibility of evil taking over. In the new creation, that will be banished forever. Nothing evil will ever be allowed in the gates of the new creation. No viruses, no death, no Satan, no aging, no theft, no addictions, no divorce, no unemployment. All gone. Gone. And the joy of people who've made much of Christ This joy that you experience when you get together on Sunday mornings and you sing about the Lord and you hear about the Lord and you testify about the Lord. Oh, magnified a millionfold, a billionfold to be in his presence, unspeakably glorious. The pain of suffering for Christ now will be infinitely exceeded by the joy of being with Christ. Him, accent on that word. See, heaven without Jesus isn't heaven. The little 
Hallmark cards or you know, fluffy thoughts about heaven and there's no Jesus in it. That's not heaven. Heaven is being with Jesus. It's being in his presence. It's not needing sun or light anymore because he's lighting up this new creation. That's what's coming. The Christian life is suffering, then glory. Hang on to that. Get a hold of that. Fasten that in your minds. There will be an end to this world. All the planning that we do, all the things that we think about, all the future thoughts that we have. Remember, there will be an end to this world. The final destiny of those who do not serve Christ is eternal destruction. And the pain of suffering for Christ now will be infinitely, infinitely exceeded by the joy of being within that. So what difference does this make? What do we do with this? How does this actually strengthen us to live for him today? Just, just, a, just a few thoughts in a few different directions. One, there's hope. If you're suffering, whether it's the suffering of life in a broken world or the specific affliction and suffering because you are a Christian, with, with some brothers in Southeast Asia a couple years ago and guys were going around telling their testimony and one of them said, yeah, when I became a Christian, that was it. I was kicked out of my family. I haven't seen them since. No relationship with them. Hope in the midst of suffering. Encourage one another with these words. He will return. He's coming back. There's humility for us here. Listen, if Christ comes to bring eternal destruction... And we're saved, how are we saved? Through no virtue of our own. We're saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. So what have we to boast about? We have every reason to be humble. Good reason for hope. Good reason for humility. Good reason for passion for people who aren't followers of Christ. Paul, the same guy who wrote this letter, says in Romans 9, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish for my brothers and my kinsmen who aren't following the Lord. Let's be a, let's be a people who pray for our neighbors, family members, co-workers, students, people that, that God has brought us into relationship with. Let, let's pray that God would open a door for the word that we might proclaim Christ, and that we might live as compelling examples of what it means to be followers of Christ. Finally, risks. We live in a time, we live in one of the wealthiest, healthiest societies in the history of the world, and it's also one of the most risk-averse. But following Christ and knowing that he's returning means you've got nothing to lose. And it sets us free to take risks for the kingdom, risks for gospel advance, risks for doing good in the world, for promoting justice and beauty and mercy. When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints, to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. And you too have believed this testimony. May you be strengthened by it. Let me pray for you this morning from these last two verses of this chapter. Father, I pray for Fairfax Bible Church. 
I pray that you would make each one here worthy of your calling. I pray you would fulfill their every resolve for good and every work of faith by your power. I pray in this church, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be greatly glorified in them and they in you and all according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.